Welcome to the Digiday Podcast. My name is Tim Peterson. I'm the Senior Media Editor at Digiday. And I'm Keely Barber, Media Editor at Digiday. So this week concludes this year's edition of the Creator Series. Kaylee, you had the final episode. You spoke with Sarah Palmira. So how did that conversation go? Because this was our Instagram creator. We ha- we've had TikTok, Snapchat, YouTube Shorts, and we're uh, finishing off with Instagram Reels. Yeah. So like most of the creators, I think that we've had on this um, series, Sarah kind of operates across all of the platforms. So while Instagram was the focus of this conversation, because we talked a lot about the role of commerce and since the beauty brand she works with tends to have more luck on Instagram with driving uh, actual like sales, uh, we talked about how um, commerce plays a role in her job as a creator. And one of the interesting things that we get into is um, how most platforms uh, don't really have a good way of measuring like direct sale conversions from short form vertical videos um, through like creator content, right? So she gives an example and actually our our colleagues at Glossy had um, written a story about this last summer where she had covered this one beauty brand on both TikTok and Instagram and the Instagram ended up selling out the product versus the TikTok coverage. Like the brand could see it. Um, and then she talks a bit about how she didn't see any revenue from that, which was, um, you know, I think probably disappointing as a creator. But we talk about the role of commerce and how a lot of sales are driven through creator content on Instagram um, and on TikTok and how uh, it's not really catered to creators at this point. And with you know, other platforms, revenue share programs not really being super reliable um, from a content perspective. It means that she has to rely heavier on brand deals. Yeah. And I mean, of the four short form vertical video platforms we focused on with this series, Instagram is the only one or Instagram Reels is the only one that doesn't have a rev share program. To what extent does that figure into Sarah's kind of investment in creating Reels? Yeah, so she still does post a lot on Instagram, whether it's stories or, uh, you know, reels content. And we talk a little bit about how um, brand deals are still generally weighed more in the favor of TikTok right now. Um, But it's a platform that she thinks is really important to her. So it's an area where it's very, you know, community oriented and people who find her content are very interested in, in beauty kind of by nature, even if they don't necessarily follow her. So it's still a platform that she focuses on. But yeah, she even mentions in the show, like one of like she was one of the first creators to uh, Instagram reels to really use that platform. And initially it was a lot of money she was getting from the platform. I don't think she was comfortable naming the actual like hard figure that first month that she was on reels. But she said after that, she has never seen you know, revenue to that degree. And eventually Instagram Reels cut off the tap on that. So it's uh, definitely not a place where she's, I think, getting the most of her money, but it's still a big focus because that's where the audience is. Yeah. I mean, Instagram has a history of launching a new product, paying creators directly just to post it. They do this with IGTV. They did it with Mm -hmm. Reels and then stopping doing that. And it seems like creators are always waiting for a rev share and um, for... Whatever reason, Instagram has been reticent to provide rev share for reels so far. Um, but interesting. Yeah. Looking forward to the conversation. Thanks, Kayla. Thanks, Tim. Sarah, welcome to the podcast. How are you? I'm great. Thanks. How are you? 
Doing good. So you are our final creator for this for this year's creator series. And we're going to be focusing, um, like every episode in this series, on short-form vertical video, how it's been a very strong growth area for uh, the social platforms. And so far, we've hit on TikTok, we've hit on Snapchat, we've hit on YouTube. This episode is going to focus a little bit more on Instagram um, slash Reels. But I know you have a very strong following on TikTok as well. And I think there's a lot of kind of dovetails that we can get into with how those two platforms work together in some ways. But um, before we get into all of that, I'd love to know when you first started your content creator journey, because I feel like you've been posting on YouTube for quite a long time, but would love to know kind of when you initially kicked off that career. Yeah, of course. Well, I feel like I am still pretty new to the game. I started in 2020. At the time, I was working at Sephora and I started a YouTube channel just as a hobby. Honestly, I really loved connecting with people about beauty. So it was a hobby. And I remember being so psyched that I had 100 subscribers, most of which were friends and family. And genuinely, Mm -hmm. it was just for fun. And then when the pandemic happened, I was unfortunately let go from Sephora because we had a lot of store shutdowns at the time. And I was one of the newest hires in my store. That's how they they did that, which was really devastating for me. I just loved my job so, so much to the point where I had started to consider a career in beauty or in beauty marketing. At the time, I was actually getting my master's degree in opera singing. And oh, wow. Yeah, which is so different than what I do now. But also there are some similarities And I was not sure at the time if I wanted to pursue that lifestyle as a professional opera singer, even though I loved it. And the pandemic kind of showed me, you know, I wasn't able to sing in public. I also wasn't able to work at Sephora. It kind of showed me where my heart was because I was devastated about Sephora much more than the singing, which is Mm -hmm. really interesting. So eventually I decided I can't connect with people about beauty in store and show them products and all of that. I might as well try to do it online. So I went more deep into my YouTube channel and then just had a really small Instagram audience. I think I had less than a thousand people, which is less than I know personal accounts, some personal accounts have. And then I started TikTok in May of 2020 when my brother, who's about five and a half years younger, said to me, you know, you should really get on TikTok. So that's, that's really what happened. I feel like it's a very similar kind of trajectory that a lot of people um, that we've had on the creator series, but in general, like people who joined TikTok, it was right in that COVID times. I know that's when I downloaded it personally. Um, And also interesting how you said like YouTube was a hobby. It's definitely something I've also tried to do as a hobby. It was like right after college for me, I tried to do like a uh, minimalist like inspired lifestyle blog on YouTube. And I think I, I have like that. 40 followers and I'm like, this is great. I'm so like, I'm doing so well. Um, and then I think I started working at Madewell at the time and immediately stopped doing the like minimalist lifestyle because I just like shopping so much. <laughs> but it was, it's worked out better for you, it sounds like. Um, but I'm curious too, because like I checked out your, in, um, I checked out your YouTube and it looks like you don't post there as frequently anymore. Are you like primarily Instagram and TikTok? Do you have any other platforms that you're still investing in or what are your primary uh, focuses? Well, I do post almost daily on YouTube shorts. I'm just not quite doing YouTube long form anymore. However, I do have plans to bring it back this year because I think that, you know, you can't get into the nuance and 
really in those short form videos, it's hard for people to get to know you on the same level that they get to know you if you're recording up to 20, 30 minute videos at a time. So I'm excited to do that. And I have been asked by my subscribers or followers, can you please do that? So I will. But it's interesting that you were saying hobby as well, because for me, that's what it started as as well. And I think the best creators, it was a hobby and it still kind of will always be a hobby in the sense that they started it purely for the joy of it. You know what I mean? And to your point of like going into the beauty and um, skincare space, like that was a passion for you working at Sephora. How hard is it to build a niche on social around certain um, like, I feel like, so beauty, right, is a very intense focus on social media. Like there are a lot of big personalities and there's, I don't say like a lot of competition, but it's a very established niche, right? Oh, yeah. So like, how was it breaking into that space and building an audience that comes to you specifically for that topic? Yeah, I know. And everyone says niche down, but at the end of the day, most niches are very, very competitive and popular in their own right, especially beauty. I think I never even really thought about that. I just thought about how I was always consuming beauty content before I made my own. And I thought to myself, what would I want to see and what do I have to say? And I think that's something really important that everyone should ask themselves if they're thinking of pursuing a career or even just a hobby in social media is what do I have to say that's potentially different than what is currently being said or is the same and is in my own voice. I never really tried to emulate another creator that I'd seen or another series or another topic that I'd seen. I just really went in there with my own ideas and my own. I almost felt like I was shouting into the void. I was so focused on just my own page and what I wanted to say that I wasn't really thinking about that until much later when people were like, oh, this is competitive, right? And I thought, oh, yeah, I guess so. I think that's the best way to go into it. Yeah. no, And that makes sense, too, because when you're posting on social, it is a very personal kind of thing. You're not looking at an audience. You're not often, I mean, unless you're going live, you're really just kind of recording in your own space. So that makes sense how you kind of view it like that. Um, What's your kind of posting rhythm now? Like your planning process going into any given week or month, are you like on a regimen of posting like once a day on TikTok, once a day on Instagram, once a day on YouTube shorts, or what is the, I guess, focus for you? Because I know like stories, I was looking at your story this morning, like on Instagram, you post quite a bit over the course of a day. Like how do you kind of view the rhythm of posting across all of these channels? Right. Well, I mean, I have ADHD, so I can get really in my own head too. Like I have so much footage that I've recorded of things. And then if it's really important to me, I may not, I may take a while to post it because I want it to just be exactly the way I envisioned it with all of the editing. And so maybe I'll post it three weeks after it's happened, which is so silly because I get really just bogged down and I'm trying not to do that. My ideal posting schedule would be daily and even multiple times a day just as things are happening or as I'm creating. And I think that's the best and probably most fun way to do it is like a kind of pressures off, like just this is me multiple times a day. But in reality, I just moved. So I have actually been off of my posting schedule and I've just been posting whenever. I usually like to post in the morning 
And then sometimes I'll post again in the afternoon. But usually I try to aim for every day and sometimes, especially on TikTok, multiple times a day. And yeah, that's pretty much the schedule. And then with stories, I just like to try to capture content in the moment. I don't always do that. Sometimes I'll put on content that I, where I was last week, also for safety reasons, right? But that's pretty much the schedule. I think it just, it's really just natural and organic. I know people are really set on posting times and I have you know, times too, just in the morning I find is, is best, but I don't try to get too bogged down on that. Yeah. With reels, not versus TikTok, but like reels and TikTok and YouTube shorts, are you creating content specifically for each of those platforms? Or do you find that it works just as well to take a video that performed say really well on TikTok and put that on like shorts or reels? Like what's the how much like original effort, I guess, needs to be put into each of the platforms in order to get those videos to perform well? I think everyone's audience behaves a little bit differently. I just make the content to make the content. And then after I've made it, I kind of decide, okay, do I want this on everything? Do I want this on just Instagram? Usually I'll put it everywhere. And it's really fun for me to hedge my bets and see which platform does best. And it's almost like a learning experience for me just to see how different algorithms work. What I've noticed on Instagram is Instagram at the end of the day still prioritizes curated content. And what I mean by that is something that's a little bit more polished, a little bit more edited. And in general, I find that to be true. So voiceovers do really great on there. Content that's taken me a little bit longer to edit that's been more planned out ahead of time usually does much better on there. Whereas TikTok talking to camera, something spontaneous, something random, something funny. It's all about authenticity. Not to say that Instagram isn't, but Instagram is still focused on the overall beautiful picture that you're trying to create, even if that's through a video. So that's something that I've definitely noticed between those two platforms. And then YouTube Shorts is still pretty random. I'm still trying to figure that one out. It's very new. And it's kind of funny because sometimes YouTube Shorts will just blow up a video that neither TikTok nor Instagram is even interested in, which is great. You know, it really, this whole thing of posting on multiple platforms has really helped me not take it so personally because every algorithm is so different. So then, you know, my content is the content and then how it performs almost has very little to do with me sometimes. Yeah, that's a really good point too. I feel like um, for the creators we've had on that have been talking about um, YouTube shorts in particular, they were just like, yeah, we were posting for multiple times a day, like up to 80 posts or whatever, not in a day, but like got up to 80. And then after that point, that's when like their content started getting actual views. Like yeah. it's just, it took a long time to like build it up. And now it like, it works really well. And I, it, it is interesting how the algorithms are very different, but I completely understand what you're saying about like Instagram still prioritizing things that feel a little bit more edited and a little bit more intentional maybe. Whereas like TikTok, like when I view it, it's almost it, like you're not surprised to see someone crying, tell, like talking about like something embarrassing that happened, you know, like very raw and like almost spontaneous it feels like. Um, it definitely, definitely makes sense. I'm curious how like uh, brands fit into that in a way and if like beauty brands in particular are okay with how authentic like TikTok 
almost needs to be or if they prefer the more edited side of Instagram. So like in a brand deal situation, um, is there a preference of one versus the other when you're talking to brands? Do they prefer to be on both platforms or maybe even three if you include YouTube shorts into that now? But like what's the what are the conversations like with brands that you work with? It's so funny because a lot of brands are still caught up in the fact that TikTok equals potential virality. You know, it was such a crazy thing to see it explode in 2020. And so a lot of brands are really caught up in that. And so TikTok is still the main platform that a brand will ask for. Even though I will say that on Instagram, I have a bit more of a community. Whereas TikTok, your video hits the for you page and that's the first, you know, testing the algorithm does after a really small percentage of your followers, you know, Instagram doesn't work like that. So your community is going to see it and they're going to engage with it, which really for me has meant more consistent views, more consistent engagement, which is perfect for a brand deal. However, a lot of brands just love the glitz and the glam of TikTok and they really want to be on it. But conversely, they don't really understand it. So especially larger brands that have huge marketing departments, they really want a curated video. They want you to hit several talking points, some of which the consumer is not going to care about. And I finally see a shift starting to happen, even with the larger brands, where they're starting to understand that if they really want to return on their investment, they're going to have to play the game. They're going to have to allow creators to do what creators do best and be authentic which it's taken a while, but finally we're starting to have those conversations of, well, okay, if you want to tap into TikTok, here's my recommendation. We say none of that and you let me do my thing. So it's exciting now that we get to have those conversations, but the virality of reels is still just as powerful. And I myself have had great experiences with that. And I think it's because there's so much value in community and community engaging with your video first. And when you say return on investment, especially I think in the um, beauty sector, like virality can often mean things sell out like instantaneously, it seems like literally sometimes within a matter of a few hours. Yeah. Um, when you're talking to brands, is that kind of the end goal that they're looking for? Like they want a product to sell to the point of maybe being sold out entirely or like are they looking for like brand awareness more so? What's the kind of return on investment that they're, I don't know, talking most about? When I say return on investment, I mean that the video itself is doing well organically and you don't feel the need to boost it a lot on TikTok, which brands can do on the back end to get the views that they're wanting. But if a brand really needs to fully rely on that, then it means that most of the time they haven't achieved what TikTok is. And it's even harder to do for ads, obviously, because people see an ad and they immediately have an instinct to scroll. So it's, it is harder to create that organic, you know, watch and like and interaction, but it is possible, especially if there's like really good communication between the brand and creator. But no, I would say that the goals of brands are very different. They can range in, we want our name to be out there. We want brand awareness. A lot of times for me, brands come to me wanting education. They want me to educate my audience and beyond on what the product does, who the product is for, because I often come from a side of education and just making skincare more simple and approachable. And uh, sometimes it's to, you know, drive sales or drive awareness, drive, you know, aspirational 
vibes. It really just depends, honestly, but it's good to have that goal in mind before I even submit a concept or idea because it really does change how I dictate what kind of content I'm going to do for the ad. Absolutely. No, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and there was one example, I think this was about a year ago now, um, our sibling publication, Glossy Pop, had written a story about um, this body care brand called Soft Services. And in that story, it showed that like your post about that product, which used a TikTok-originated sound, did not sell, like the initial TikTok post did not sell nearly as much as the Instagram post did or like the repost of it. Um, when it comes to like driving sales of a specific product, is Instagram still better at doing that or has TikTok kind of improved their commerce abilities? Because I know that they've made some efforts there, but curious, like in the year since that story was written, if you're still seeing like your Instagram stuff generally drive more product conversions or ha I don't know, how, how is it looking now? Yeah, that was such a crazy story because I don't know if you know, but essentially I sold them out and they actually had to change, the founder told me they had to change their entire manufacturing plan because suddenly they did okay. not have enough of that product and they needed to submit an earlier order to order a lot more. For the next run. So that was really, really cool and such an amazing thing that, you know, my platform was able to do. And it genuinely was one of my favorite product discoveries from a relatively smaller brand. So that's the best when I can, that's really why I love my job is I can literally blow up a small brand that totally deserves it just because I have noticed that this product is amazing. Um, but really, I don't think there is a huge difference. I think the issue or issue. I don't know if that's a great word, but I think really what people are missing out on is that Instagram is just as amazing as TikTok when it comes to potential for virality and potential to sell product. And I think the thing that rings is authenticity or authentically liking something. Eventually they did want to turn it into an ad and they did put boosting behind it, but for a long time before it had its a life of its own. And there's just as much potential and growth potential on Instagram as there is TikTok. The one thing I'll say about Instagram is you do have stories that mm -hmm. you can embed a link in your stories. And that's always helpful, especially for having collecting data. But really as a creator, what I would like to see from both platforms is the ability to link within a video. So many times, you know, I, I didn't get any um, commission off of that. I sold them out and didn't see a single dollar because I did not have a discount code. I was going to ask. Yeah, no, I didn't see a single dollar from that video. It got like a few million views, tons of engagement. I didn't have a discount code. I didn't have an affiliate link. And I did have one that I eventually put like in my uh, bio and in my story. But, you know, for the majority of viewers, they were just going on their own on that website. So I think a lot of times creators really miss out on potential um, earned commissions because the platforms are not catered to that. And I think it'd be really interesting to see what would happen if we were able to put in links within videos that are clickable and can generate commission, because I think that that would be really cool because a lot of creators might be able to take on less sponsorships because now they're finally getting the credit and money for uh, selling out a product or, you know, hyping up a product. Whereas that's really not the space that we're in. Even if we organically hype up a product, we usually don't get money for that. 
And we rely completely, almost 100% on the sponsorships. Interesting. That was one of my questions for you, actually, is like how much affiliate contributes to the money you make yourself on platforms as a creator, given a lot of the um, like broken link issues, like to your point. Like when I use TikTok, I honestly have not been on the app in a couple months now as like a mental health break. But when I was on there, anytime I did want to buy something, it was kind of like, do I trying to get there through the app or I just end up leaving and going to Google and like looking it up myself. And you're right. Like there is a lot of dropped off like conversions at that point. So I guess I was, one of the questions was really just like how affiliate plays into your like personal ability to monetize your content. Like, do you have some success? Are there platforms that like, I think YouTube maybe was, for some people a little bit easier because like you could just put the links in your like description. But like when it comes to affiliate, like at this point, is it such a small piece of like the money that you're able to make in any given month or has it gotten any better? So YouTube is actually doing it the best and they're doing this new program as well for their shorts where you can link the products and they'll pop up as little icons on the side of the video. And it's- Anytime someone clicks on that link, you get commission and that's added into your AdSense. And it's amazing. And I don't understand why other platforms can't do it. And that's really like the best way. But I do have, um, I have a, an LTK that I'm building out right now. And I have a shop my shelf and I have an Amazon storefront. And those all live in my link in bio. And occasionally, you know, when I do a story post about something I like, I'll drop the link there. But like you were saying, it's just a small piece of the pie for me and I know myself and and a lot of other creators, just because it's not super authentic to me to continue to beg my audience to use my links. I'm not going to spend my energy and my time doing that. I'd rather spend my energy and my time creating more content than being like, please remember to use my discount code in bio or anytime somebody asks me, what is the product? Oh, it's in my bio. You know, that's kind of annoying. Yeah. <laughs> and they really want to know what the product is. So I'm going to tell them. So it's just something that I hope that the platforms figure out because I know for myself and a lot of the creators I talk to in my niche, it's just, it's there, but it's a small percentage of the pie. And if I didn't have my sponsorships, that would not really cover expenses. So it's pretty crazy because when you think about the power behind an influencer and what they're able to do for a brand, they really should be seeing that. And I think that would be amazing because then it would allow all of us to take on less sponsorships, which I know our followers would love as well. You know, I mean, I I only sponsor products that I absolutely love, but still I know that my audience would love to see much less. Right. And I'm sure from like even a creation and like execution standpoint, like branded posts probably take more energy because they have to be checked over, approved by the brand. Uh, I think to your point, a little bit more scripted in nature as well. Um, right now, like how how many branded like posts or like brand sponsorships do you typically do in a month? And do you try to limit it at all? Yeah, I definitely do try to limit it. I have like a, you know, quota. And once, once I'm booked, I'm booked. You know, I don't like to take on more because I try to make sure I have plenty of my own content so that it's almost not noticeable. And if I'm not able to do that, then I take less that month. 
that's what that means to me because I really don't want to become like a walking poster board for any brand to just put their product there. And I think that's annoying as a viewer too. The thing that I try to do as well is try to make sure that no matter what, you're learning something when you see an ad of mine. So whether or not you want the product, you got something out of the video, which is really important to me as well. And I really try to do that with every single sponsorship that I do because I want it to have value regardless as to whether or not you're interested. But I usually do four sponsorships or four ads per month on TikTok. And then I'll have like maybe a couple on my other platforms. And with all of the content that I make, it, it usually doesn't feel like a lot. It's usually like, you know, five to 8% of the content that's on my page. Got it. And um, one of the questions I've been asking creators in the series is like the differences in audiences per platform if they kind of you mentioned like earlier that Instagram is a little bit more of a community, right? And like TikTok, I think can be a little bit more um, random. Like you see people that maybe you don't follow. Like it's yeah, you have the follow page, but you're not always like following or seeing the people you follow. I guess like what are the primary differences you notice in platform like between platforms and who's watching your content? And also like if you have any insights into YouTube Shorts too, because that one being a newer platform, curious if it's like followers mainly or just kind of who's watching those. Yeah, the shorts are interesting. I would say that um, for me personally, it's the youngest audience is on my YouTube shorts. A lot of young kids are on YouTube. And then it goes in order of youngest, oldest. Youngest demographic is YouTube. Then we have TikTok and then we have Instagram. And I'm 28. And I feel like I have a lot of like 25 to 35 year olds, especially on Instagram. But I think um, it's just, it's interesting. YouTube shorts, I get the most crazy out-of-pocket comments. The wildest and meanest things that have ever been said to me have been said to me on YouTube shorts. You got to have a thick skin oh right God. now if you're doing YouTube shorts because it's young kids. They don't know you. They don't even see you as a real person. And they're going to comment the wildest stuff. I have been told that I am a menace to society <laughs> on YouTube shorts specifically. And like, I don't know, it's, you got to have a thick skin and it, it kind of cracks me up because it's oh my so gosh. random. And I think that really shows, um, you know, that the youth that's on there and also the randomness of it. Like I know that that person is seeing me for the first time and will never see me again. So it's even mm -hmm. more uh, wild than TikTok. And then TikTok, I definitely still have a community. I have people that comment on multiple videos and I recognize the username. And then I also have this wider audience and wider net. And the more views a video gets, the more other people are going to chime in, right? And then Instagram, I would say, even though it hits the explore page, it hits the explore page. I don't know. I feel like it's in a more specific way. So people who see my videos are already following someone that, you know, I might even know or be friends with, or is a colleague or someone who has a very similar account to mine. So it's really likely that they've searched for those things before. And they're really interested in the content that I'm putting out. That's, that's a good point on Instagram. Like anytime I go to the explore page, it is extremely like curated as like nail art and uh that's primarily what's on there nail art and I say this without any kind of nails on right now but uh like it's it's 
insanely curated to the point where it's like travel and like nails and like maybe restaurants in New York or something like that. It's like very curated. So I get why like the audience that would find you kind of randomly on that channel or like through the algorithm would be super already kind of tailored to what you're talking about. It makes a lot of sense. And it's also interesting to me that given the age demographic on Instagram is slightly older and all the people watching are very interested in like beauty, skincare, things of that nature, that the brands that you work with wouldn't want to prioritize that a little bit more because I feel like that's already kind of aligned with who they're looking to reach. Yes. So those people have more money to spend and they have jobs. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Whereas like YouTube shorts, like even though the links are in there, a 13-year-old kid isn't going to be able to buy the product, let alone like remember to do that or like do that right away through the video. They're going to maybe remember the product and then like tell their mom about it or their dad about it and like buy it later, right? Like, I don't know. It's interesting that like brands aren't kind of weighing that in their like decisions of where to work with you in terms of like branded content output. I mean, I will say they they still do. A lot of the time brands will ask for your demographics and that's basically a breakdown on the back end of what your audience looks like on each platform so that they can determine what would be the best course of action. I will say my TikTok and my Instagram are very similar. I still have a lot of people in the 25 to 35 age range. It's just that my larger audience is, I think, I want to say 18 to 28 or 18 to 25, whereas the largest portion of my audience on Instagram is in that middle tier of 25 to 35. But it's really interesting that you say that because um, I recently saw a study somewhere that said that millennials are spending more money on health and wellness than any other previous generation. And so, you know, that's something to really consider. I think there are a lot of people that are coming onto TikTok, especially I felt like in 2022, that's when the older crowd was like, all right, I'll download it. So there's still a ton of people in, um, who are older now on TikTok, but it's something to consider, especially when you're considering who has purchasing power, who's going to see it, who's going to interact with it. Um, definitely. Which is why I think some brands know that, which is why they asked me to do a TikTok post and then they call it syndicated to reels, which means it's the same post on TikTok and you do the same post on reels. And then you might even do a story for them as well with like a link in the story. And that really allows them, and that really allows them to, you know, just curate data from all of those different platforms. Okay. So they are kind of asking for almost like a bundled approach then across those two channels. Sometimes. Yes. It honestly depends, but yeah, that's definitely a popular ask as well. So earlier in the creator series, uh, we had Kat Stickler on who is, uh, very big on TikTok. And Love she her. mentioned that she was starting to see, right? She's she's uh, definitely one of the funnier people I follow on that platform. Um, when she was on, she mentioned that she was starting to see a, a slight shift of brands moving from TikTok to other platforms because of the potential ban. Have you noticed that at all? Or is it like, it, it sounds like you still have a decent amount of action like coming in through brands on TikTok. But has there been any kind of like rumblings of that or like, I don't know, slight hesitancies at all? Yeah, gosh, the other month, like what was it? A month ago, I was like, is this actually going to happen now? Because it seemed as close as we possibly could get to a TikTok ban, which was really crazy. 
and such an important lesson as a creator that you definitely need to diversify. I knew a ton of creators who were freaking out because they had poured all their time and energy into just one platform, which was TikTok. And so a ban for them would have meant like a huge change in the revenue that they were able to make, even though they had other platforms. But I think, you know, it was so surprising. I even asked my agency, I said, hey, what is gonna happen to the deals we have slated for this month and next? And they were the ones who told me, no one's worried about it. <laughs> and I think it was because there is just so much money in TikTok. There's so much, so many businesses that benefit off of it, that if they were going to ban it, someone was going to buy it. I truly believe that from the bottom of my heart. I do not think that we would have lost the platform. I am so sure that a, a large American company would have said, please let me buy it because there's just so much revenue coming from that platform. That is a really good point. And I think something I have not considered or like really seen many other people talk about either. Um, you're right. Like it is, oh, people spend a lot of time on, like the reason I deleted the app was because I was spending way too much time on the platform. And it was like to the point of like, I'd wake up, scroll for a while, get up, end my day scrolling for a while. Like people spend a lot of time. You could spend a day on it. Let's just be honest. Easily. On a Saturday that you didn't really plan out, you could spend it on TikTok. Yeah, absolutely. And like there are, you know, benefits to that. There are disadvantages to that. But I do agree that it has such a hold on American youth, like American audiences, American consumers. And then the revenue side of it is such a high potential. You're right. It probably wouldn't go away. Um that's fascinating. Yeah. So I guess like at the at this kind of point in the year, we're almost halfway through 2023, which is wild. Don't say um, that. <laughs> I know. We like entered May and I'm just like, oh my God. I haven't like, started my fitness goal. I like had this goal that was literally just work out a little. Okay. And I was like, I've got time. And then I, I just noticed like last week that we're halfway through and I have not done it. So yeah. My resolutions list is sitting so like dusty on my shelf at this point. I, I definitely understand. Um, like the one thing I've been able to do this year because I got rid of TikTok is read more. That was like my one accomplishment. But I am curious what you are like planning for the rest of the year for 2023. Um, like what are some of the the bigger things that you're excited about, whether it's like certain brand deals or, um, you know, collabs or, you know, anything else on the horizon? What's something that you're looking forward to? Well, I am going to London at the end of this month and I'm going to meet Charlotte Tilbury, the woman, the legend, and she is one of my idols. So I'm super, super excited. Um, it's, it's a brand trip, but I love her and I stalked her heavily before I even started doing this. So I'm really excited for that. And I'm honestly so excited to be moved in a new place where I have a little bit more time. I'm commuting a little bit less to different meetings and events. So I'm going to be able to finally start long form content. And I don't know, I'm really taking it month by month. I don't know what the year will hold yet, but I have some great goals. So I'm excited to just hopefully see some of those come true. I applied for the Sephora squad, so we'll see what happens with that. That's a really cool, like almost little like hub and community and learning opportunity that I think will be really exciting. And yeah, I'm just excited to start making even more content. I was 
living a little bit further away from LA. So it would take me a long time to go to meetings and go to events. And so I had less time to make content. So I'm finally like, oh, last week I moved. So I'm finally at a point where I have much more time on my hands. So I'm excited to see what that does for my platforms. And yeah, that's pretty much it. Honestly, I'm just focused on making the content that I want to make. That's really always been the main focus. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. This was so fascinating. It was such a interesting thing to talk about with like the role of affiliate, like linking and how the platforms like still need to catch up on those ends. Like this is such a great conversation. Thank you so much for taking the time. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for having me. This is so much fun. And thank you for joining us. We'll be back next week with another episode.